going on? Happy Friday. Welcome to the program. Thanks a lot for hanging out. I do appreciate it. Pete Callender. And uh, the phone numbers here at News Talk 1110 and 993WBT are 704 570 1110 1 800 WBT 1110. And the email is Pete at the Pete Show.com. Uh, so, what are we on? Day number five now of the. Uh, trial of Alex Murdoch, or Alec Murdoch, uh, down in Colleton County, South Carolina. And so I'm just going to run through a recap. So like, I'm the, feel free to, by the way, call in and if you have questions or your theories about all of this. Happy to take those as well. But uh, just given sort of regular updates as the trial progresses, because, uh, I mean, I'm fascinated by it, and uh, apparently so are, like, a lot of Americans. And... um. I don't know. Yeah, I I don't have like a theory of the case right now because I haven't seen all of the the evidence. But, um, well, I said it yesterday. I'm gonna wait for. Uh, uh, I'm trying to measure my words here. I'm gonna wait for the cell phone data and uh, the timeline to be presented by prosecutors and then rebutted by the defense. I think that's where this case is is going to be made or broken. But what do I know? I don't make predictions either on jury trials or elections. <laughs> don't, don't make predictions on jury trials because you never know. So Alex Murdoch is the, you know, the lawyer down in South Carolina. His family were like prosecutors, had this powerful law firm, and they were just, they had their hands in everything. And then his son, Paul, uh, got in the boating accident, allegedly while drunk. He was driving and plowed into a bridge, killing one of the uh, friends that was on the boat, a girl named Mallory Beach, and uh, he had been charged uh, eventually with that. There was also a wrongful death lawsuit filed against uh, Paul and his father, Alex Murdoch, and uh, there was this mediation going on between the parties, and financials were requested by the Beach family's attorney, and then shortly after that is when Paul was murdered. And so this is actually what Alex Murdoch said to the police when they arrived at the uh, at their hunting property. They're, they call it Moselle because it's on Moselle Road. And um, this is what he told the police, that it's probably related to the boat case, the boat accident, the, the crash, because Paul uh, had been perceived to have gotten off uh, and was getting off because of who his family was. They were connected. They were powerful. Stuff doesn't happen to them. And so did somebody come along and mete out some justice for Paul? Um, and then, oh, Maggie, the mom, is there too. And so kill they kill her as well. That's one of the theories uh, of the case. Before Alex Murdoch got charged, this was a prevalent theory uh, that was out there and uh, was being discussed in various podcasts and documentaries and all sorts of stuff. But now that the trial's underway and after Murdoch was charged, we're starting to see some of the evidence as to why the police, um, and this is uh, South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, SLED, why SLED investigators, why they think he did it. And it's going to connect back to the financials because remember, Alex Murdoch has already been disbarred, right? He was he was uh, kicked out of the, the family law firm that he founded this uh, this PMPD, or as I call it, Pimped, and uh, the Pimped law firm, uh, he's no longer there. And they had also, I think it was the day of the murder, 
they had also started asking, hey, where is all this money? He had been draining accounts that he was the conservator of. He, he had the control over accounts of settlement money and such, and he was stealing from the firm. Why? Because he was supporting, apparently, a massive drug habit. And that also has to be taken into account when trying to ascertain motive, opportunity, uh, but also you got to keep it in mind for like his state of mind. If he's all whacked out on opioids and had been for years, we may be looking for a, quote, rational explanation when there isn't one, you know? One of the other uh, pieces of evidence that's always been confusing uh, is and is, uh, is going to have to be explained is that there were two different weapons used. One against Paul, that was the shotgun. He was shot twice, killed uh, on the second shot to the head. And then the uh, AR that was used against Maggie, the mother. And uh, both weapons gone. And at the opening statement, the prosecution said that those weapons were family weapons. Those guns were uh, owned by the Murdoch family at that house, at their hunting property. They're going to and they're going to have to prove that they're going to have to bring some forensic evidence, which they say that they've got because there are shell casings that were at the scene, but also uh, recovered in flower bed uh, in a flower bed where apparently it's next to the porch and where Paul, the son, had been shooting off the porch at some point in the past. And there were casings found there. And so it's going to be we'll see what the forensics say. But that's the theory of the case. The prosecution has laid out now whether the judge allows the financial stuff to get in as evidence, we, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how you present some sort of a motive if you don't have that. Um, but that's going to be decided later. So right now, we had the, so the, the witness testimony began in the first uh, few witnesses, and even right now, it's still law enforcement officers. They're using this to get all of the, the searches, the evidence, right, all the, the, the timelines. They're using all of this to, to sort of uh, enter the evidence, uh, into the record, and then they'll be able to refer back and use it uh, throughout the trial. So yesterday we had Daniel Green. He's a sergeant with the Colleton County Sheriff's Office. Uh, he was the first responder. I went over some of his testimony yesterday. Um, one note that Green said that he did not see Murdoch crying at any point. And what people are now observing during the trial is that Murdoch does appear to cry pretty regularly. And if he's not crying, he's doing some sort of, uh, I don't know what, it's like almost like a rocking, like a, a head bobbing kind of thing. And he's putting his head down and he's, and if you're from, if you're looking at him from the back and I've sat through trials before and you don't ever see the, the defendant's face, if you're in the gallery, it would look like he is crying. His shoulders are kind of moving in a pattern that is, that, that, that resembles crying. I don't know if that's some sort of a self-soothing thing is if he's doing because he did go to rehab and then he got, you know, charged, he got indicted with the murders and they brought him back, but so if if he had went to rehab, got cleaned up and now he's maybe trying to I don't know, maybe he's got like a mantra he's doing or a prayer and and this is, you know, because you're sitting there in trial and they've like they've been trying to block the the monitor at his table so he doesn't have to see the bodies of his wife and son which are gruesome, very, very gruesome uh, pictures. Um, 
So I'm not sure what the what the rocking and the head bobbing thing is about. Is it intentional? Is it acting for the jury? Is it no? Look, he he's crying. This is how he cries. You know, no, he doesn't have a lot of tears. You know, whatever. I, I who knows? Just pointing it out because it's a thing that is occurring. Um, next up, they played. Uh, this is from today. They played footage from uh, the body camera for the jury on the night of the murders. Alex Murdoch appears to tell the officer, the Sergeant Green, that he thought the murders of his wife and son were related to that boat crash. He said it to Green. He said it to somebody else. Now, is this him going with his gut and saying, hey, please check into this angle? He's been getting death threats. Or is it him trying to create a theory for the police to go off on a wild goose chase pursuing? Um, The defense has been attacking the crime scene uh, preservation, saying that it's uh, it, it got contaminated. There were tire tracks that didn't uh, that that weren't investigated. Um, and then the prosecution came back and said, well, are you aware of that any evidence got contaminated? And he said, I'm not. Uh, Sergeant Green um, said that uh, he, he did everything he could to avoid contaminating evidence. So that's always a standard line that the defense is going to go after contamination of the crime scene. Then they had Chad McDowell. He's an officer with the Colleton County Sheriff's Office as well. Um, and uh, he was brought on uh, to show that the uh, the scene was properly preserved also. Then they played audio of Alex Murdoch's uh, 911 call, and it had a new piece of information in it that we haven't heard before. I'll tell you what it is in a minute. Alrighty, so prosecutors in the Alex Murdoch murder trial played an unredacted recording of Alex Murdoch's call to 911 the night of the murders. And while parts of that have already been released, uh, some have not. And in one part that was not previously released, the 911 dispatcher is heard asking Murdoch if his wife and son shot themselves. And Murdoch responds, no, hell no. In uh, the unredacted call, Murdoch also tells the operator he wanted to go back inside the house to get a gun just in case right, that the assailants were still on the property. And when the operator tells him not to do that, Murdoch is heard saying that his son had been threatened for months. So that's another piece of uh, evidence. And uh, like you could interpret that as, you know, him trying to set up an alibi, throw them off the trail or him trying to find the actual killer. All right, let me jump over here and get Mike on the program. Hello, Mike. Welcome to the show. Well, I appreciate you taking my call. Sure. I've thought about this thing, and I've been watching it on TV. But my opinion is that Murdoch is a very intelligent man. Mm-hmm. And I think what he uh, had in his mind, that he needed to get his son, Paul, off as uh, best he could and the way to do that so he wouldn't be having to pay out as much money just for himself. He'd have to pay out more for Paul, and I think that's why he murdered his son and his wife was collateral damage. And uh, he's a smart man. He's probably going to get his law firm to represent him, and I think that he killed them both for thinking about the money because he was uh, all, all of his other clients that he had, he ripped them out of their money and that's just the way I feel about it and yeah. I guarantee you when it's over and said and done with, they're going to find the SOB guilty. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't know if they will or won't. Never trust, uh, never, it's very difficult to predict what a jury is going to do. 
Very, very difficult. Uh, lawyers don't ever know. I've talked to enough lawyers during jury deliberations. They don't ever have an idea. All, all they can do is kind of just think through, uh, you know, what, worst case scenarios if they don't get this or whatever. But And they try to read the tea leaves like, oh, they're only deliberating for mere moments. And so that's good for us or it's bad for us or whatever. It's, uh, yeah, it, there's just a lot of guesswork. But I appreciate the call, Mike. Thanks so much. Uh, no, that's... I think that's a, a very strong theory. I do. The, the, the theory that he murdered, and, and also I've heard that they, uh, that Maggie may have been on to uh, uh, being aware of what was happening with the finances or something. The prosecution sort of alluded to this idea also during their opening, uh, their opening statement that um, she hated being at Moselle. She, did, she preferred to be at their house at Edisto Beach. She she was a beach girl. She liked being at the beach. She did not like being at Moselle. So, which ra- uh, raises the question: Why was she there? Were they there for some reason? Why were they up there? You know, that was Paul's place, and the the guys like to be there. They like to go hunting out there, but she didn't. So I don't, and that's just what the prosecution said. So I don't know what if they're going to elaborate on that or not. Um, Next up, this is again. This is from yesterday's uh, testimony that proceeded. Then after I got off air, it continued. Uh, because apparently they're not scheduling this, you know, for my show. I don't know why. But um, Fire Chief of Colleton County Fire and Rescue, Barry McCroy. And uh, just a heads up, this is pretty graphic. Alex Murdoch cries in court as McCroy details the gruesome murder scene. McCroy describes one crime scene photo where per- Paul Murdoch is lying face down with his brain around his ankles. Chapman tell uh, then there's Jason Chapman, a deputy. And the only reason I felt I have to tell you that is because this is now going to become part of the theory from the prosecution, which is that it is such a gruesome scene. That. How are you able to check for pulses? On both your son and your wife when there's blood everywhere. And when the cops get there, there's nothing on you. How does that happen? That's where they're building to. From what I saw this morning with today's testimony, that's where they're building to. Sorry. Yesterday afternoon, Jason Chapman, and by the way, you can follow, I'm, I'm reading off of the, uh, not all of it, but uh, some of the highlights off of the state.com. They're doing a uh, like a live feed kind of a deal where they type in like who's on the stand, which is very helpful for me. Um because I'm watching it live. I've got it pulled up now. They've they had a couple different detectives coming in now. Now they're moving from, like, they went from the county level. Now they're at, uh, they're getting into the SLED, the state-level investigators. Jason Chapman is a deputy with the Colleton County Sheriff's Office. He told prosecutors that police investigators checked underneath the body of Paul Murdoch to see if there was a gun. I mentioned this yesterday. Uh, and he says they didn't find one because they were thinking, well, is it possible that Paul murdered his mom and then killed himself? And so they're like, well, if he did, maybe he's laying on top of the gun. So they went over to the body and they kind of lifted it up to see if there was a gun under there. There was not. And they set the body back down. He says they did not find one. He also testified that he did not notice any blood on Alex Murdoch's shirt at the scene. Now, there was also and the state did not include this part, but I saw this part and and, and I haven't seen really this focused on. But they keep coming back to both defense and prosecution, keep coming back to water collected around uh, the floor area of the kennels. And 
Then today they had a uh, an investigator on there, Laura Rutland from Colleton County Sheriff's Office. Uh, now she was there to support because when Sled took over, like they were the ones doing the investigation, but she was there to lend support. And she testified a couple times that he had a clean shirt, clean hands, clean shoes, clean shorts, clean legs. But if he tried to check the pulse on Paul, and given what I just described about the brutality of that murder and the gruesomeness of the scene, how do you not have any blood anywhere? And what I think the prosecution is going to try to argue here is that he hosed himself off. The hose was fully uh, wheeled up. They mentioned this in one of the other um, investigators who had some crime scene photos. And somebody asked, okay, there's the hose. It's, uh, it's on the reel. It's all rolled up. And there was standing water. And it was during the, uh, the, the redirect of Jason Chapman, the deputy from Colleton County Sheriff's Office, when he was asked to look at a crime scene photo or video and look at this puddle and is there blood in the puddle? And the defense just started objecting repeatedly. And the prosecution kept trying to ask the question a different way, which indicates to me this is pretty important that they can get this on the record. They were unsuccessful in doing so. However, they were allowed to ask a question. Does it look like there are four lines? Are there? Do you see lines in that water? And he said yes. So he couldn't testify that it's blood because he didn't know it to be blood. He couldn't say it looked like blood because he's not an expert in, in blood analysis. But he could say there are these four lines right through the middle of this puddle. And what the defense is probably going to say is like, oh, well, he just hosed out the, the kennels. Paul was hosing out the, the kennels. That's going to be their response to that. That's why there was standing water inside the kennels. I think the prosecution is going to argue that he hosed himself off, disposed of the clothing and the murder weapons, moved Paul's truck through Maggie's cell phone, which both of which were found like with, within half a mile of the property, and then went to uh, his mom's house for an alibi, and then came back. His mom, who has late-stage dementia, which that raises another point I will get to in a moment. So Alex Murdoch said that he drove from the hunting property they called Moselle to his parents' house to see his mom. And this was... Late in the evening, right? This was around 8 o'clock or so, 9 o'clock. And because uh, then when he got back home to the Moselle property, it was 10 o'clock. That's when he found the body. So he, he was supposedly gone late, uh, like towards the end of the 8 o'clock hour. And then on the road, t- calling people, talking to people, gets to the house, sees his mom. So I would have put him at his mom's house somewhere around 9 o'clock. Well, when he said he went to see his mom and he told the investigator, Laura Rutland, one of the sheriff's deputies, thought that was weird, that he went to see his mom at 9 o'clock at night. And when the prosecution asked her this morning, why did you think that was weird? She said, well, people with late-stage Alzheimer's, they're usually not as lucid late in the day. You've heard it referred to as sundowners, right? And anybody who has any, any experience with a loved one with Alzheimer's knows this to be true, that different parts of the day they are they're they're better 
than others. And a lot of times it is. The later that they stay up, the later in the evening it gets, the worse they become. So why would you go see your mom that late at night? Now, um, the other, uh, what the defense is going to argue is that his dad was in the hospital. He eventually passed away like a couple days after this. Uh, and so that's why he had gone to the hospital. He wasn't having a good time. He went to the hospital. And so that's why Alex went to see his mom that night. I don't know if a late stage Alzheimer's uh, patient, you know, how much benefit you would get from that visit, but that would, that's their explanation for it. Kara, welcome to the program. Hey, Kara, how are you? Hey, good, Pete. I've been following the story a lot. Uh, cell phone is going to uh, decide this case. Yeah, I think so. Changed. And another thing, he's never called that many people. He's such an idiot, even the way he did fraud and everything. He's such an He's the only one that can benefit from these two deaths. Let's be real about this. However, the jury will not be able to hear that. So she, the only reason Maggie was there is that he called her to say, let's go see Dad because he's dying. Mm. She did not want to be there. She texted a friend, and the friend is going to testify. She's on the list. She said, something is up. I don't think Paul is safe. She didn't think about herself, but Paul was at the kennels, and she knew that Alex was there as well. And this guy was beyond crazed. She had already gone to a divorce lawyer, by the way, so everything was going to be exposed beyond who else in the world would want them dead? Who would benefit except him? Well, so what of the what of the theory of the case that Paul was murdered for vengeance? No, no that is such BS. So where are the footprints? Where's the other gun? This is all stuff made up by Alec, and he's the worst fraud person. Yeah. No, no, it's right, right, right. So that's the his initial, and that's so right. So if 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 Alex did it and is trying to throw the investigation off, then he plants this story immediately that it's related to the boat accident. But, I mean, I would also say, like, there are a lot of people that probably had a lot of really bad thoughts about Paul, right? And and so it's... Absolutely. A, and that, is that enough for a reasonable doubt? Now, their evidence is going to either uh, support or, or not, right, that theory... As well, and that's the defense's theory. I think that's what they're going to try to um, they're going to try to argue. And I think there was also some hint that uh, they may try to uh, what was it to get the guy who did work on the property to try to get try to use him as reasonable doubt as well because that's all they need. All that's no, no, that's not what they need. They 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 have to prove their case. This defense lawyer is is just as bad as as Alec Murdoch. They don't have so to prove their case. No, no, well, no, no! They don't have to prove they, their case. But, but they keep they keep opening the door. You know what that means? Mm-hmm. Come up with a wonderful marriage. And it, once they open that door, that gives the prosecution a chance to say, "Okay, you want to open that door? We're going to open it wide open." Here's the divorce papers. Here's what she was doing. Everything was going to be exposed. He is the only person. All right. So hang no on. Reason for Maggie to be dead, right. except by Alex. All right. Nobody so all right. So Kara. All right. So hang on. So. Because I heard uh, Dick Harputlian make that comment as well that you're, he said something like, "There's going to be uh, you're not going to hear anything other than he was a loving and devoted father and husband." Right? I heard that in the opening statement as well. So, like you said, that's opening the door. So, because of the rules of discovery, if you know about this text message from somebody and you know about the divorce filings or whatever, if you know these things, why do you think Harputlian doesn't? 
I think he is trying to listen. Jurors are it's, it's a cat. I understand that, but yours. he. All right, but my, I'm I'm asking the question because uh, there are a lot I, of rumors out there about the case, and there's been a lot of quote reporting about the case that hasn't been true, and so I don't know. I, I think he's throwing it out there because I think he thinks the judge is going to not allow anything of Alec Murdoch's past, even if you look at his cell phone records. He mm-hmm. has never called this many people. He was lining up an alibi. He and Paul have never had that kind of conversation before on Snapchat. It was all a setup. Yeah, well, and that might be the case. What I'm, what I'm, what I'm asking about is why would Harputlian? It, you're, so your 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 thinking is that Harputlian is going to just make this argument with the hopes that he wins the judge's ruling on letting in the friend's text message or the divorce filings. I think that Harpoolian's doing this because he has not opened the door wide enough. They can't just introduce all this stuff. But I think he's trying to, like when he, he made him stand up and then introduce him to the, just please mm-hmm. gag me, make me show up. You know, that's pretty standard, though. That, I mean, guy. no, but that's and pretty I, standard. Yeah, you have to. Look, he's he is there to try to get his client uh, uh, acquitted, right? Well, so that that's okay. what you expect a defense attorney to do. Bottom line, there's yeah. no other footprints, there's no other shell casings, there's no other... He had this thing planned at 8.44, he had a whole other hour, they don't even have him, his phone pinging at his mother's, he went to his mother's a week later with the raincoat with all the gun splatter. Yeah, gunshot residue, you know, in, yeah, the GSR inside of it. But the one thing I would wonder about is why in the heck didn't the police go in the house and just get the... But he had an hour and 15 minutes yeah. before he called the police. Yeah, he, yeah. He it, however he disposed of, if he did it, and however he disposed of his clothing and the, and the, the weapons, they're never going to find that stuff. Um, you're right. I mean, that's it's a lot of territory but, but to cover. It will come out, too, that who saw him at his mother's house the morning at 730 a week later uh, when he brought that raincoat. That mm-hmm. will come out. Yeah. Well, so, so then the thing that, right, so the thing that I'm going, I, I don't know if Harputlian is as bad of an attorney as you think he is. Um, I think he's, I think he's actually quite good um, in in trial court. Um, Not so much on the political side, but in trial court, he's, uh, I think he's pretty good. And I think uh, he's, I don't think he could bet that the prosecution is going to be unsuccessful in getting a divorce proceeding or filing, or if, if Maggie did that and there's a record of it, and some attorney says, hey, she came to me, and she met with me to talk about a divorce, and this is what she told me. Like, that's going to come in. There's, I don't see any way that a judge keeps that from coming in because that speaks directly to motive. And I, I, so I don't know Harpootlian would risk uh, saying they had a great marriage. Usually a defense attorney, if you know something's coming in or has a potential to come in, you're going to try to to attack it beforehand by saying something like, was his marriage perfect? No, but that doesn't mean he did, he killed his wife. That's what that's the way you would try to handle it versus lying and saying, "Hey, they had a great marriage." And then, "Oh, look at that, a divorce filing." <laughs> well, and now you're the, screwed. The problem is he killed her before the the filings never went through. She did visit the attorney, but of course, that's not going to be put put in. The jurors are not going to hear any of this. I, I don't I don't believe that. I don't believe that's that's the case. I think I think I an attorney think that has a meeting with a client and then that client gets killed, 
that attorney, they're not they're not bound by the privilege anymore, so that they are free to come in and say, this person met with me, here are my notes, she wanted a divorce, this is what she was telling me. Okay, well, I hope so, because yeah, I mean, well, what I heard was it was not going to be admissible because it was never filed. Oh, but like you said. Yeah, a filing yeah, would sir. definitely go a longer way. <laughs> a filing <laughs> would be much better, no doubt about it. All right, hey, Kara, I appreciate the chat. Thank you for calling. All right, bye. All right, take care. Yeah, I don't know. So, like, there's so much stuff about this case that we don't know, and I've heard so many different uh, theories and pieces of information, and because it is such a, it's such a large case, and there are so many victims. Right? You got Gloria Satterfield. You've got the uh, uh, the young kid uh, Smith. I think is Stephen Smith was his name. Uh, I think that's his name. Who was allegedly killed by uh, by this family as well? So there's so many different angles to this. But I don't know. If you go and meet with a divorce attorney and you tell a friend that uh, that Alex acting weird and you're worried about Paul's safety, and I think that comes in. But I don't know. I'm not the judge. But I don't think Harputlian can gamble that it doesn't come in because if he gambles and gets that one wrong and he's been telling everybody they had a great marriage and all of a sudden you get this that comes into evidence, your case is done. All right, I'm done. I'm done for now. So the Paul Pelosi attack body cam footage has been released. And uh, yeah, it shows what the police said it showed was that they got to the door. They opened up the uh, yeah, the, the door was opened by apparently Paul Pelosi. They were both standing there. They each had their hands on a hammer. That guy is a pretty big guy, not Paul Pelosi, but the attacker. They got the home video, uh, surveillance video that shows the guy bashing his way into the house. Um, and cops open the door, or the cops are at the door. I didn't see who opened the door. I don't know if that matters, but the Pelosi is there standing on the right. The attacker is there on the left. They both are holding the hammer. They're hold- Both of them have their hands on the hammer. And the guy just, just like violently rips it away and swings at Pelosi. And when that happens, the cops jump him. So it, it all happens very fast. So I don't know if people's narratives are now dead because the videos are out, whatever those narratives were. See, I like my position was always like, I'd like to know what happened. I want the investigation and, I, and I'm okay doing that. And that's why maybe I didn't make the best reporter <laughs> because like I, I wanted more information and I can only tell you what I can tell you. I'm not going to tell you what to think. This is what we have. This is what the evidence is. And that's, you know, like with this trial, the Alex Murdoch trial. Um, well, here, let me read this email because it, it's reacting off of a comment <clears throat> with uh, that I made to Kara, the last caller. So Jan says the callers about this case are rightfully emotional and apparently well invested in their thoughts on how this will proceed. However, They seem to lack a grasp of the simple adages that our judicial system is supposed to be based on. Innocent until proven guilty. How, and by the way, Harputlian made that point in his opening statement. He said, right now, our standard of law is Alex is innocent. You have to look at him 
as innocent right now. That's the way you're supposed to view him because that's the standard under the law, innocent until proven guilty. Um, another axiom or adage is uh, you know, better to let 100 people uh, who are guilty walk free rather than convict and jail one innocent person. And also, as Pete, you were trying to point out, the defense does not have to prove anything. They don't. Now, it is obviously way more helpful to a defense's case, right, to win an acquittal. If they can prove somebody else did it, that is definitely optimal. Right? If you could be like, hey, this guy here, uh, we got him right here in court. We're going to call him to the stand, and he's going to admit he did it, and he's going to give you the murder weapon uh, and video of him committing the crime. Like, that would be fantastic for any defense attorney. Doesn't usually happen because – Prosecutors would drop the case once they get discovery. Discovery is the process where the prosecutors have to give the evidence uh, over that they have. They have to give it to the defense, and the defense has to give theirs to the prosecution. So this way everybody knows what the other uh, what the evidence is going to be presented in court so they can present a, an argument. They can do their own analysis, whatever. So you don't have to prove innocence. You don't have to make a case. All you have to do is get a reasonable doubt in one juror. That's it. Twelve people on the jury, and if one of them, if one of them has a reasonable doubt, which is defined, which is always a terrible definition, I, like it's defined as like that, a thought that a reasonable person might have. A doubt a reasonable person might have. Like, you cannot describe the thing with the words of the thing, okay? That's, that should not be allowed. But that's essentially the standard, is that you, you can't just, like, fabricate some in, entirely made-up explanation for something. It has to be reasonable. And that's why jury negotiation, or deliberations, rather, are, uh, are always so unpredictable. Because you don't know what those jurors believe is or is not reasonable. Um... What was the other? There was one other. There was one. Oh, yeah. Hang on. Uh, Chapman, one of the Carlton County Sheriff's deputies. Um, he said that Alex Murdoch's demeanor changed when investigators began looking into tire tracks near the crime scene. He says Murdoch was initially emotional and upset and began to watch investigators more closely when they were examining the tracks. He says that he asked Murdoch how Maggie and Paul got to the dog kennels where they were found shot to death. He says Murdoch speculated that they drove Paul's Ford F-250, which was missing. He says police found that vehicle 10.30 or 10.45 a.m. the next day, uh, like less than a mile away or something. So what are the facts of this case? That these two people were murdered in each other's presence by two different firearms, her phone was taken, his car was taken, both recovered within a mile of the crime scene. And so why would you take the the truck and the phone and ditch them? Maybe maybe we'll get an answer to that or at least some speculation. <laughs>